If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, check out patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. We have multiple levels of support you can sign up for starting at just $2 a month. At that level, you'll get access to our outtakes and some other fun extras on the Patreon app. We have some other fun levels as well that allow you to get a little something else out of the deal too. We're talking gifts, stickers, discount codes, and even t-shirts. So go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm for more details. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? I just opened a dogfish head pumpkin ale. Ooh, yummy. I've been saving it for weeks because I knew this episode was coming. (laughs) (laughs) You coordinated. (laughs) I did. Planning ahead. (laughs) What are you drinking over there? So today I am not coordinated. Um, but I am having some peanut butter whiskey, the screwball peanut butter whiskey on the rocks today. Mmm, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it's good. I'm excited about it. It's, I haven't had it in a while, so it's kind of like a nice little treat. Mm. Now that I'm, uh, enjoying bourbon, maybe I need to give that screwball whiskey a try. You should. Oh my God, it's so good. Mm. Our drink peep this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan. She is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right. So we have some exciting news. It's time to go over the Honey and Rue Corner. I mean, it's the best time ever. It is. And I think this is one of my favorite boxes we've ever gotten. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you want to tell us what your favorite thing was? I think my favorite thing was the necklace. Ooh. Yeah, because the chicken on it is, like, it's not tiny. So, like, I don't mind, like, a tiny dainty necklace, but, like, this is, like, proud chicken mama advertising around my neck. Um, (laughs) And it's just really cute. It's very simple. And I actually wore it for all of my WebEx calls on Tuesday. Nice. Yeah. I'm not sure anybody could actually notice it was a chicken, but I felt pretty fancy. Like, I had a turtleneck sweater thing on and my necklace. Ugh. Styling over here. Nice. (laughs) Professional chicken mom. Yes. (laughs) So what was your favorite thing? I mean, my favorite thing was the socks. Yes. Because socks are my favorite thing anyways. (laughs) Me too. Like, I'm always wearing them. I love funny socks. I love chicken socks. So when I saw them, I was like, yay, socks. (laughs) (laughs) We also got um, a copy of Chicken Whisperer magazine, which is always handy to have those laying around just in case you need some entertainment. 
And we got a bag of Healthy Hen Rosemary Magic. So it's a chicken treat that's made with rosemary that you can sprinkle around in your coop. So it smells good and they eat it. Yum. And we also got one of my other favorite Honey and Root products, which is the 3-in-1 Vitamin Electrolytes and Probiotic Powder Mixes. Uh, Always have those on hand just in case your ladies are looking a little sad. And we got a bag of the PDZ Coop Refresher. Super awesome to sprinkle around your coop to freshen it up without having to clean it. Like, it's magic stuff. (laughs) it is. And we also got a pretty decent-sized bag of Chico-Rama Sunflower Delight. So it's a little treat for your chickens, and it has non-GMO cracked corn, uh, wheat, oats, barley, and, of course, sunflower seeds and oyster. And every box comes with a nesting box liner. That is the pad that's at the bottom of the box. So you can put that in your nesting boxes and it keeps your eggs safe and clean and it's compostable. So win. Also, our friends decided to collaborate on the December Honey and Rue box. Um, There's going to be a book in it. From my friend Brad from Coop Dreams. Yes. It's Pokey's story. Pokey Jr.'s story. Yes. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'm excited that that's going to be included in the box. Um, So if you guys want that, on top of that, not only are you getting a book, you're also going to get an ornament that has chickens on it. And it says, Dear Santa, bring more chickens. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> yes. So if you aren't signed up already, and this is your first go around with Henny and Rue, you can go to hennyandrue.com and use code DRINKINFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first box. All right. So if you didn't pick up on what Bev was putting down, we're going to talk about pumpkins again today. And this week, we're going to talk about pumpkin insect control. Yes, pumpkin is basically my favorite subject. Yeah, because we're fall basic bitches. (laughs) But I think we're coming to the end of what we could possibly say about pumpkins. Yeah, at least for this year. We'll have to try to really stretch and think next year, next fall, what the hell we're going to talk about when it comes to pumpkins. (laughs) We can get creative. (laughs) Yes. So this week we do have some sources. Uh, We pulled some knowledge from gardeningknowhow.com, pestnet.org, pumpkinnook.com, and growjourney.com. So there's going to be a bunch of links in the show notes uh, if you want to check out and read some more stuff about pumpkin pests because there's a lot. This is going to be like a creepy, crawly adventure. (laughs) I love it. Yes. So pumpkins are favorite food of a lot of insects. And pests on pumpkins can be a problem But a lot of them are treatable and preventable. And a lot of that has to do with just the nature of pumpkins. You know, they have a really hard rind. So if you can let them Mm -hmm. grow long enough, like insects can't penetrate. So they're really most vulnerable when they're really young. So a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today with these pests, you're going to want to like get on top of early to make sure that you don't end up with issues with pests down the road. 
So let's dive right into the creepy crawlies and talk about the most common bugs on pumpkin plants and how to prevent and treat them. And our first suspect is the beetle. Dun, dun, dun. Pumpkin beetles, <laughs> specifically. Pumpkin beetles. And apparently they are the most common pests on pumpkins. And uh, adults feed on the leaves, chewing large holes. Seedlings are particularly susceptible. Um, and so are young plants after planting out. The damage to young plants can delay crop maturity. Damage also occurs to flowers and small fruit. And there's also some people out there that believe the larvae can actually damage the roots and stems. Um, and this type of damage may allow entry of other organisms, especially fungi. Yeah, n- not fun guys, but like fungi as in fungus. Like fungus. <laughs> the gross stuff. Yes. <laughs> So to find pumpkin beetles, you're going to look for red oval-shaped beetles. They're about eight millimeters long. Uh, Americans will have to look up how many inches that is because I don't know. (laughs) And they'll be on the leaves and flying between them. They'll be kind of easy to see because of their color. They're red. Uh, They're usually in groups. Oh. And uh, you can also look for evidence of the damage they do to the plants. Uh, They eat circles on the leaves and large holes in the leaves between the veins. And usually the group of beetles, they'll stay together. They'll attack the same leaf. So the damage will be pretty obvious. Um, And eventually all that will be left is the veins of the leaves before they move on to other leaves. Mm -hmm. And the adult beetles are uh, pretty strong flyers. And if you disturb them, they will quickly fly away. So if you're curious, if you have them on your pumpkins, you just walk up to them and give the leaves a shake. And if you see a cloud of red beetles fly, uh, that's a pretty good indication. You've got pumpkin beetles. Ugh. All right. So now let's talk management. So first, we'll go over natural enemies. And unfortunately... (laughs) There don't seem to be any natural ways or enemies to control the beetles. Uh, The beetles actually contain chemicals that visual predators do not like, and they avoid them because of it. Uh, The bright colors of this beetle warn predators that they're, like, yucky. So they just end up not doing anything to them. Yeah, super unfortunate. (laughs) So if you think you're going to want to try your darndest to prevent these beetles from invading your pumpkin patch, um, you might want to consider growing fast-growing varieties of pumpkins because they're likely to outgrow the damage caused by these beetles. So before you plant your pumpkins, you're going to want to make sure that you avoid planting any new pumpkins next to pumpkins that are already infested with the beetles or were infested with the beetles recently. Mm. And you want to make sure that while your pumpkin plants are growing, you want to provide conditions for healthy, rapid plant growth. So you're going to want to fertilize, whether that's with like compost or manure. And you want to make sure that your pumpkins don't dry out. So they don't struggle to grow with the right amount of water and the right balance of fertilizer. They'll grow at their 
optimal time and to their optimal like growth level, which will help prevent them being overtaken by infestations of these types. And um, because the beetles tend to group together, uh, you want to be sure and plant just a couple of extra pumpkin plants if you find that in the past you've had issues with beetles. So the rule of thumb I like to always tell myself is a gardener always plants three times what they really want to harvest because you want to assume you're going to lose a third of it to nature, you know, like squirrels and weather and things like that, you're going to lose a third of it to pests and disease. And then the other third you get to harvest. So that's the way that I usually try to plan for like what I'm going to grow. Um, and actually these types of beetles, uh, you can actually catch them in the early morning or at night when the sun is starting to, to set. They fly a little slower at that time. So you can get your kids involved in like shaking the plants and actually catching them because they won't move as fast. And that could be one way to get rid of them. So chemical control for beetles, you have a couple options. You can use wood ash. You take half a cup of wood ash and half a cup of lime in four liters of water. And you let that mixture sit for a few hours and then strain it. So what you'll want to do once that mixture has been strained is test it on a few plants to make sure that it's the right strength. Um, to do its job before you go and spray all your plants. Yeah, or make sure it's not too strong so it doesn't like totally destroy them. (laughs) Right. Don't want that either. Yeah. You can also use plant-derived products like neem or pyrethrum. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that right. But if you just asked what the heck is pyrethrum, we got you because we looked this up. (laughs) (laughs) So pyrethrum is actually the pyrethrum daisy. It's chrysanthemum. I'm not going to try to say that word. Cinerarifolium. No. <laughs> That's the scientific word for it. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Good job. <laughs> so uh, that daisy actually has an insecticidal compound that can be extracted from uh-huh. it. Um, and the nickname for that daisy is the Dalmatian chrysanthemum so it's per it's perennial it's loaded with natural chemicals called pyrethrins and those pyrethrins are toxic to insects so any type of garden spray that you see that are pyrethrins or they say pyrethrum on them it's derived from this specific daisy and it's it's extracted from a plant and is considered non-toxic to humans. So this is approved in the U.S. for use in certified organic farms. But it doesn't mean you get to spray it all willy-nilly and as much as you want <laughs> because there are still rules around using any type of chemical, whether it's synthetic or naturally deriving because toxicity is in the dose. So you want to make sure and follow directions because it can be deadly to beneficial insects or even to your plant in the wrong amount. So follow the directions on it, even though it's natural. Alternatively, synthetic pyrethroids are likely to be effective. So if you don't have the real thing, you can use the fake thing. Yeah, and uh, the chemical compounds for the real and the fake thing are probably pretty similar, if not the same. So interesting. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the things I've learned from food science, babe. Um, she talks about on Instagram a lot how like the 
lab grown or a synthetic version of naturally occurring chemicals actually has like the exact same like written out compounds. I'm not a chemist and I was never very good at chemistry. So I'm not sure that I'm relaying that exactly like properly but basically whether it's synthetic or it's natural like if you break it down into its compounds it looks like the same thing so don't be too worried about that (laughs) good stuff all right on to the next criminals because all of these creepy crawlies are criminals in my mind yep uh (laughs) snails and slugs Uh, snails and slugs love to eat the tender flesh of very young giant pumpkins. So there are a few things that you can try to do. Uh, you can put a ring of Epsom salt or sand around your pumpkin. The pumpkin insect pests won't cross it. So it's almost like, you know, those scary movies where they do like a ring of salt to keep the bad spirits out or whatever. <laughs> it's basically like that. But for, for pests. Keep the slug demons away. Exactly. Exactly. The very slow moving snails and slugs keep them away. You can also try a line or a circle of first Saturday lime to deter them. And snails and slugs actually love beer, just like us. So maybe we're not so different. Mm. So you can put a shallow dish of beer in your pumpkin patch and it just may attract them to the bar. Um, And then they'll drown. They'll just drink themselves silly and drown, I think, is what happens. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Or I think they just mostly drown. I don't think they actually drink the beer. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know. (laughs) Um, You can also apply snail and slug pellets. um, And that is also very effective. They eat the pellets and die. Womp womp. Um, Once your pumpkin skin is hardened... They actually won't be able to puncture it, and this won't be a problem anymore. We're gearing up for Grubbly Farms Black Friday special starting this Sunday, November 22nd to the evening of Monday, November 30th. Grubbly Farms Grubblies happen to be the official chicken snack and feed sponsor of the Drink and Farm podcast. And to celebrate Black Friday, it's a points party at Grubbly Farms. Grubbly Farms are gifting two times the points on single purchases and three times the points on subscription orders for every dollar spent. And again, that runs from the 22nd through the 30th. It's the best time to shop for your flock and gobble up points that are redeemable for coupons. Get $5, $10, $20 coupons when you stock up. Plus, enjoy free shipping on farm fresh feed and grubbly snacks for your flock. So head on over to our show notes, which are located on our website at drinkandfarm.com slash podcast, and click on that link to take you to the website to shop until you drop. All right. So who's our next offender? Our next offender are squash bugs. Ooh. What the hell is a squash bug? Probably exactly what it sounds like, but I can't picture it in my head. So squash bugs. And in fact, I had a huge infestation of squash bugs this year. So I'll have to pull up. uh, I put an Instagram story of them like marching across my garden a few months back. So I'll try to find that and I'll put it up in our Patreon so that patrons can like see the video of the squash bugs like walking across the garden because it is kind of (laughs) creepy. There are a bunch of them. Um, But they're like these little tiny gray bugs. They're really ugly and like kind of long and flat 
and they have large black legs and you'll see them just like skittering everywhere. They like to congregate yeah. under objects like boards and tarps or even mulch, which kind of stinks um, during their most active season. Oh, I Googled it. I've seen these things before. Yeah. They're, they're like gross. everywhere, right? Yeah, they're so gross. Yeah. Um, Ugh. And uh, one of the things you can do because they like to congregate under things is you can set things around your pumpkin patch that they'll go and hang out under. So that's one of the ways that you can help control them, like put a like a large flat board like somewhere in the middle of your pumpkin oh. patch and then you can flip the board over and all those bugs will be on it and you can smash them all or vacuum them up or whatever it is that you want to do to them i don't think i'd vacuum them because they'd probably like set off their stink in your vacuum cleaner and then you'd never Ugh. be able to get it out but <laughs> yeah no I wonder, yeah, I wonder if you can drown them in beer, too. Uh, I don't know. They will go for <laughs> um, dishes of water that have a light shined on them. Um, Interesting. So that would work if you have, like, electricity to, like, take out to your garden. I know that's kind of tricky. <laughs> but um, that's how we get rid of them in the house because they come in the house, too. <laughs> oh, jerks. They are. They're such jerks. So uh, you want to make sure and check your plants regularly for eggs and destroy any egg masses you find on the plants. Because squash bugs, like, they um, lay their eggs in, like, these perfect, symmetric, like, rows. It's very mathematic and kind of pretty. But you want to make sure and remove them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, unfortunately, because they – because they – can hide under mulch and they like to hide under things mulching around pumpkins can cause an infestation to spike um i don't know like some of the articles recommended that you don't mulch your pumpkins but like if you want to keep them growing and moist you know water (laughs) they need water to grow like mulch is the best way to do that so that's really hard But um, you can prevent squash bugs by keeping your gardens clean of old cucurbit vines um, and leaf debris from curcubits because that's where they're going to hide and overwinter. Um, And they don't survive the cold very well. So if you do mulch in your garden, you can always like take a rake and till up all of your mulch, like just like mix it up and make sure that it all gets overturned um, because they won't overwinter in that area if you can get them all exposed to the cold. Oh, okay. And seven dust is the recommended pesticide for squash bugs. And I always do keep some seven dust on hand because that's what I use on those um, Japanese beetles that we get really bad. Oh, okay. Next up is the vine borers. These are the worst. I looked it up and I don't think I've seen these before. Mm. So maybe I have, but just very, maybe not very often. Um, But there is no more certain way to end your pumpkin growing season than to have an infestation of vine borers. That sounds pretty dramatic. That is. That's super dramatic. Super. (laughs) We're so dramatic. (laughs) So vine borer larvae grubs bore into pumpkin vines at or near the base, sucking on the juices and eating away the vine. Ah. So dramatic. 
Um, once these little buggers are inside, they progress up inside the vine, making it difficult to detect until great damage has already been done. And if your fruit is growing well and all of a sudden slows down, this might be the cause. After the damage is done, the vine will shrivel up and die. Mm. Yeah. So the presence of secondary roots may continue to produce a little more towards full fruit weight, but effectively your season is over if they eat through the vine. Some growers perform surgery, cutting into the vine and extracting the vine borer, and then patching the entry wound. Like, that's pretty advanced right there. Garden Um, surgeon. (laughs) Yeah, add that to the LinkedIn um after surgery you can spray something on it and then the vine is covered with soil to promote secondary root growth however success is limited and significant damage is done often during the surgery and vine borers attack most members of the cucumberita (laughs) did i just make that like margarita you did you just turned cucurbita into margarita Hey, this is a drinking podcast, so that works. That's true. But this means you need to hide your pumpkin, squash, and cucumbers from vine borers because they'll find them and kill them. They do. And you know, so I had vine borers this year, and you know what I did uh, to save my plants? I actually just, so I exposed the whole root because the way that... um, like zucchini and yellow squash and pumpkins grow they have like this really big like main root that kind of comes up and like goes sideways Mm -hmm. um i covered that entire thing in first saturday lime oh no way yeah and i thought for sure it was just gonna dry up the plant and it was gonna die um but what happened is uh i must have smothered them enough that they didn't like destroy the whole root vein because oh. that off of that stalk that was like super destroyed, a new one just grew off the side of it, and then another like yellow squash plant appeared. So yeah, the original one was kind of done, but it grew a new one off of it. So nice. it worked pretty well. So that first Saturday lime is actually really useful in the garden for all sorts of things. <laughs> Heck yeah! So there are a few things you can do for prevention. Bev, outside of First Saturday Lime, do you want to tell the listeners what options they have? Yes. And um, this option, I actually talked about this with Elise Ferguson, I think, like several months back, um, is a BT spray. Um, And what BT spray is, is it's Bacillus thuringiensis. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong too, but that's okay. Um, But basically, BT is a naturally occurring bacteria that's found in soils. And research indicates that it's virtually harmless to non-target species. So um, Hmm. basically, this bacteria specifically targets this pest. Um, So I think the way that it works is uh, the pest eats the BT and it destroys their digestive system essentially and kills them. But other species aren't susceptible to this bacteria. So even if they are exposed to it or they eat it, they don't die. So that's the, that's the reason why this bacteria works so well. And you can get BT sprays at like any gardening center or like hardware store. 
Um, and actually, you can inject BT into a squash plant stem if you want to. Um, and you'll you might need to do that if the larvae have already bored into the plant, um, like into the center of it, because you might not be able to reach them with the spray if you don't inject it. Um, but yeah, because it's just a bacteria that only hurts these bugs pretty specifically, like there's not really a whole lot of harm in it, which is pretty cool. Um, but just in case there is a potential harm to uh, pollinators, you do want to make sure that you don't spray like open flowers, which is a place where pollinators will go. Um, and you also want to spray this like at night, maybe at either dawn or dusk. Um, so that you don't accidentally spray any pollinators with it just to make sure because uh, they're not active during those times. Gotcha. Yeah, it's super fascinating stuff. I loved learning and reading about BT spray because I had never heard of it until Lisa and I had that conversation. And I was like, oh, this is totally going in my arsenal. Because <laughs> like, I hate the I idea it. of spraying plants if I don't have to, because it's one of the yeah. reasons why I like to garden. Like, like I said, I don't mind losing two thirds of it like to Mother Nature, basically. That's the way that I plan my garden every year. But I don't want to lose all all of it and if there are like naturally occurring compounds out there that i can like add to my garden to help prevent these kind of things like totally use them as long as you read the instructions on the bottle and don't let them get into any waterways like whatever you do (laughs) (laughs) so the other option you have is to use mulch easy as that we're getting so much conflicting advice aren't we (laughs) i know we are Um, But allegedly, this method helps prevents the adult squash vine borer moths from laying eggs on the stems. If the larvae bore into the main stem area of the plant, it doesn't take long to kill the plant. But with this method, it also helps with vining and crawling squash varieties, um, and it helps them set new roots along their stems as they grow so that the plants can continue to support new growth even if they are infected by a squash vine borer further down the stem. And if you go this route, you also want to be careful and keep an eye out on the leaves of your squash plants, since borers also lay eggs on the leaf stems or undersides of the leaves. They just like to ruin everything, every part of your plant, if they can help it. Yeah, they do. You know, the mulching, one thing you could do is mix uh, first Saturday lime in with your mulch or like put a big layer of first Saturday lime down and then put your mulch on top of it. And maybe that could stop the beetles because isn't it or no, it's the squash bugs that like to hang out in the mulch. So if you put that lime down, squash bugs don't want to hang out in it because it dries them out. And then you put your mulch down, then you can still like protect your plant from the squash borer. But also not have the beetles take up residence in it or the squash bugs take up residence in it. So it's very complicated, like figuring out how to make it all work together. (laughs) Yeah. This is why we drink while we farm things. It is basically, (laughs) right? Yeah. And last but certainly not least, aphids. No. So aphids are pests on pumpkins that don't necessarily do damage except in large numbers. When they can um, yellow leaves and produce a nasty, stinky substance called honeydew. 
<laughs> Not the good kind of honeydew. <laughs> How many times have we made that noise during today's podcast? <laughs> Just as many as when we talked about all the fungus and the zombies. And the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even in small numbers, um, they can spread diseases among pumpkin plants. You can use light insecticides um, to kill off an aphid infestation, but they can also be compounded with a a strong spray of water. Um, The introduction of natural predators like ladybugs and the installation of reflective mulch. I've never seen reflective mulch. Is it like shards of glass? Like a mirror? I don't know. I'm going to Google it. Reflective mulch. Oh, it's silver mulch. Interesting. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of pretty. It is kind of pretty. Huh. I could totally see why that would work. Because, like, you would use reflection to keep, like, birds of prey away from your chickens. Yeah. So you could use that to, like, keep bugs from wanting to hang out around your plants it's probably disorienting to them yeah hmm interesting yeah that's pretty cool we've learned so much today while teaching you all the things that we just learned (laughs) yes yes we have and that's it i hope you're not scratching too much after listening to all that creepy crawly talk (laughs) right feel kind of itchy (laughs) even though they want nothing to do with me yeah (laughs) nope just your pumpkins they just want to go for (laughs) your pumpkins so hopefully with this whole pumpkin series though you'll be able to identify and prevent and treat any issues that you have with your pumpkins and just grow the best pumpkins ever next year yes all right so now it's time for we can't even corner so bev what can't you even about this week so i can't even that a photographer caught a photo of an eel bursting out of a heron stomach alien style what i need to open this up yes what the heck open it you will see the photo It's amazing. Basically, this heron was just flying and a photographer was taking pictures of it. And this eel just suddenly like popped out of its stomach. Oh, my God. So apparently it's a snake eel very specifically. And they have the ability to slice open their predator's stomach with a pointed tip of their tails. Um, But usually it doesn't happen. It's super rare for them to do it to birds. Um, because usually the eel like runs into the rib cage. So that's why they don't get all the way through, but he must've just like hit in just the right spot that he was able to get through. But, uh, on the plus side, uh, the photographer said that the heron was acting just fine. It didn't seem to be bothered by it. So maybe it healed up and went on. So yeah. (laughs) It's freaking weird to look at. It's like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it is. It's totally like a sci-fi movie. I saw it and I was like, can't it's even. Gross. <laughs> well, or it looks like he's has a penis in a really weird spot. I mean, some of these pictures. <laughs> it is a snake eel, so it's basically just like a long serpent. It's very thing. phallic. <laughs> it is very phallic. <laughs> I can't unsee it now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Oh, all right. 
that was a good one. So what's your can't even this week? <laughs> Not nearly as graphic as yours. <laughs> so uh, mine is pulled from a USA Today article. Um, and it's it's something important that everybody should know. Um, Waffle House has collaborated with Oakney Brewing Company Ooh. to concoct a bacon-infused beer that delivers an aroma of breakfast meat. Yum. That sounds delicious. So the aptly and humorously titled Bacon and Kegs Beer is a 6.5% ABV red ale, has a multi-character enhanced with salty, savory, and smoky bacon extract. Yum. Mm. I drink that with breakfast. Or maybe that could be breakfast. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of breakfast style beers. Like anything yeah. that's like maple based or coffee based. Um, those are all delicious to have with pancakes. Or one of my favorites is I like to have, um, what are those called? Uh, pigs in a blanket. It's like little maple sausages that you like wrap yeah. in pancakes. Yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> Yeah, have that with a breakfast beer. I could totally see trying a bacon beer. Yes. So initially, this beer beer will be sold in six packs or on draft at Oakney Brewing Company beginning December eighteenth. The collaboration beer could get a wider release, but not necessarily at Waffle House itself. So far, the only Waffle House um, that sells beer is. Uh, Waffle House at SunTrust Park, home of the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, this is uh, the first beer Waffle House has ever collaborated and put out. So, you know, there are some positive things coming out of 2020. Yeah. And bacon beer is one of them. Yeah. So. I'd give that a try. Yeah. So, if you guys get a hold of it and try it because it's, it's primarily going to be in Atlanta, it sounds like, first, in Georgia. So if you get a hold of it, you're going to have to tell us how it is because we, we're more than likely not going to find it. <laughs> yeah, and we want to know. Yes. And make sure you send us your can't-evens. You can drop those in our Facebook group or give them um, to us via Facebook Messenger or through Instagram or email them to us or call us and tell us about them. Really, we'll take them any way you want to give them to us because we like to read those on our minisodes. And be sure and leave us a review because we read one Apple Podcast review per week here on the show. And whoever is review we read, we enter them into a drawing for an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. So we don't have any reviews this week. Um, that means there's one more Friday in November. So if you want to leave us a review and have an, a chance to win this month's drawing, your odds are really good because you're going to only be going up against two other people. So if you haven't left us a review yet, go ahead and do that uh, over on iTunes and we might just read yours next week. So just a few housekeeping and announcements before we're done for the day. Be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because that helps more people like you find the podcast. And do us a favor and find the Instagram post for this episode. Share it in your Instagram stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. 
And when you do that, we're going to send you a promo code just for that episode, and it'll give you a percentage off in the shop. Make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to all of the resources we used for this week's episode, our can't evens. And also, there's a link to a survey where you can tell us how we're doing anonymously and links to all of our social media and our merch shop. So that's it, guys. That is it. Yeah, the end. The end. And until next time. Drink. Farm. And give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things. November is a month where we remember to be grateful. And I'm super grateful that we always have First Saturday Lime on hand to help keep our coops and barns fresh between cleanings, especially since the holiday season is upon us and it can be tough to stay on top of all of it, everything, anything at all at this point of the year. And you can just sprinkle it around like holiday cheer and it helps keep the stink down and the bugs out. You can also use First Saturday Lime to create a barrier around your home, your boots, and your firewood to keep unwanted bugs away. And it can be used in water tanks to balance the pH in water and prevent algae growth. With so many uses, you really can't go wrong using the safe organic lime. So go to firstsaturdaylime.com and buy your lime today.